Nebraska Public Media Sports brings you live coverage of the girls and boys NSAA High School Soccer Championships from Morrison Stadium at Creighton University. Monday, May 13th, see Class B girls at 8.30 p.m. Central and Class A girls at 8 p.m. Central on Nebraska Public Media. Welcome to Hurt at Sports Radio. The Gator 36-yard line snap. Hand off Benson, left side 35. Breaks free to the 30, left sideline 20. Cuts into the 10, into the end zone. Touchdown! Trey Benson, the deep back. Rodemaker under center. Rodemaker hands it off Benson, right side. First down and more at the 20, 15, 10, 5. Back pedaling into the end zone. Touchdown! Kicking off hour number two here on Herd at Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. Andrew Rogers here with me. We're live on AM590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities. And joining us now on the Warhorse Sportsbook Hotline is Kurt Weiler. He covers Florida State Athletics for the Osceola, uh, part of the Rivals Network. Kurt, how are you this morning? I'm, uh, I'm doing good, guys. Hey, uh, Kurt. I imagine you don't do a lot of radio hits in Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> Cannot say I, I, I have, no, but happy to happy to help out. Well, welcome to the, the great state of Nebraska. I weirdly have... Somewhere in the middle of America. Yeah, I weirdly have always had an affinity for Florida State, and we're kind of going through the uh, teams in college football playoff contention this week, so wanted to have you on. Obviously a super interesting year for Florida State. Um, they've looked dominant at times. They've you know, maybe struggled with subpar opponents at times, mostly thinking of that Boston College game uh, that gave me a little uh, a little heart palpitation there. But the biggest issue is their Heisman Trophy candidate, Jordan Travis, and his inability to be available moving forward. How much different is this team with Tate Rodemaker at quarterback versus Jordan Travis? I mean, yeah. Anytime you lose a you, you lose a guy who was in the the Heisman Trophy conversation, it felt like he was maybe on the outside looking in. But I thought he might have gotten an invite to New York. Mm-hmm. He kind of played these last few few games, but uh, it, it's going to be a big deal. I mean, he's uh, Jordan is a, a a prolific athlete. The I mean, escape artist from the pocket who does some pretty miraculous things with his legs, and uh, has also come a long way as a as a passer for sure. And, uh, I mean, it, throwing, uh, any, throwing a quarterback like Tate into this situation, I mean, it's going to be a challenge for anybody. And Tate played decent amount. I mean, it, Florida State's been lucky in a way that, that Tate's a guy who, uh, in today's day of NIL and the transfer portal and players not often wanting to wait their turn, he's a fourth-year player. He's a redshirt junior who uh, has stuck it out and kind of been content the way it has turned. So that's, I mean, been the saving grace a bit for Florida State. Mm-hmm. And there are some ways that I think Travis, that, that Tate could uh, – I think Tate may have better arm talent than than Jordan in some ways. I think there are some ways where he can hold his own. But uh, it, it's just an unenviable situation to uh, throw, uh, throw any quarterback into. I mean, taking over last week as the quarterback of a top five 11-0 team and putting them into a hostile atmosphere it's uh it it, it definitely uh, changes the optics of the offense for sure yeah speaking of those changing optics one of the things that i've noticed is it seems like the offense has kind of reverted back to some of the things that mike norvell 
used to do, whether at Memphis, whether it was before he fully trusted Jordan Travis with all of the offense, kind of scheming up and leaning on that run game and creative run schemes a little bit more. Is that what you've seen from the offense as well? Well, truthfully, that Mike Mike is always going to want the run game to be a heavy part of it. Obviously, yeah, this, this year it's been fascinating. I mean, this year kind of how things have flipped for Florida State where this team has had to have success passing the ball often to set up the run. The, mm-hmm. the run game's improved as the game has gone on, and that's kind of the inverse of what it is for a lot of people. But that's kind of been, I mean, how things have broken down for this team. But, but no, I mean, Mike, Mike is always going to. I mean, the counter is kind of a huge part of his game, and he has – he and his staff come up with a, a lot of creative ways to run counter. They kind of are on the, the forefront of, of, of that, if you will. And uh, they do have, I mean, I, the, the clips as I came in. I mean, Trey Benson's a, a, a very talented back. Mm, he's he's kinda, so good. He kind of feels good for about a home run run a game. Mm-hmm. Like he, he's, a, he's a very great big play running back for sure, and a, a few other guys in that backfield as well. And they, they do some interesting things that uh, – that, that, uh, it's not been maybe the strength of this team this season, like you said, but Mike's always going to want to do that, especially, I mean, when you throw in Tate in the backfield now. Kurt, until Norvell, this program was in shambles thanks to how Jimbo Fisher left them, and then when Willie Taggart took over, it, it just wasn't any better. How have you seen the, the culture shift from before Norvell to now? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's impressive to say the least. I think a, a lot of guys... It's fair to say that they, it's understandable why some guys might have had trust issues when Mike took over. I mean, he was arriving as the, the third head coach in, in four years for those guys. I mean, obviously, the, the Willie Taggart era started with a lot of hype. It started with, I mean, this is going to be different. This is going to be better. I have all the, and it, it didn't work out. And, and that ended as quickly as it did, as much as for behind the scenes stuff as it did on the field stuff. So, the program was not in a good spot, and obviously the Norvell era didn't start the best. I mean, a three and six COVID season uh, started zero and four in 2021 in, in Norvell's second season, and things were not in a good spot. And since then, I mean, the last two seasons now, he's uh, he he's why well, he's 20, 22 and three now. I, yeah, it's, it's been a really impressive turnaround run for him, and it's I mean, not everybody bought in. And it did take some time to, for, to build that culture. I think Mike had to kind of prove to the guys, his thing is always, I'm going to give you my best every day and you, if you give me your best every day. And, I mean, it's a testament to some of the guys who stuck around are some of the best players. I mean, Jordan was a guy who Mike inherited. Kalen DeLoach, the uh, all-ACC linebacker, is a guy who Mike inherited. Akeem Dent, the very good safety, who, who was stellar Saturday at, at Florida, is a guy Mike inherited. I mean, there there is... Uh, understandably, because of how the portal's been, I mean, there's a lot of talk about the, the job Mike has done through the portal. But no doubt, I mean, uh, uh, some of the best players on the team are players who Mike inherited and he and his staff developed. So, uh, And that's a testament, I think, to the culture and how he did turn that around. We're talking with Kurt Weiler of the Osceola, uh, part of the Rivals Network with Florida State Football. Uh, Kurt, you mentioned that coaching staff. The guy that sticks out to the most to me is Alex Atkins obviously came in originally as the offensive line coach has taken over OC duties as well how intricate to the turnaround has Alex Atkins been I mean he he has definitely been a a big 
big part of it because, I mean, it, it, frankly, with how from the end of Jimbo's tenure through Willie Taggart's tenure, when there was kind of just a, a rotating door of uh, a revolving door of, of offensive line coaches, there was no continuity. There wasn't a ton of talent in the room. They were put a playing players kind of earlier than they had to just out of necessity and kind of affecting their development in that way. Alex has been a, has been a big deal. I mean, it's, it's funny. We've kind of gotten, I know uh, Florida State's offensive line this year is, it was one of the Joe Moore Award semifinalists. One of the, I think it's the top 12 or top 15. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of Florida State fans kind of, it, it, Alex has changed things enough where Florida State fans have kind of now looked at it. And they're like, <laughs> like, really? I don't think the offensive line is, is, is that good. I mean, it, Florida State fans would have killed for the offensive line they have now two or three years ago. Yes. And now it's kind of like uh, it, it, some people would say, I think that they, they've taken a step back this year. I think it's more like they've been great, pretty good pass blocking and not as good run blocking, kind of flipped how they were last year. But, no, Alex, is, uh, Alex has been very impressive. Now, he's the offensive coordinator, but Mike is calling plays. Right, so yeah. He's not involved in that, but still, that's not to take away from Alex's role in this for sure. How much – concern do you have about being able to retain Alex Atkins? It seems like he's uh, kind of one of the rising stars in the coaching profession. Does not calling the plays maybe keep him around a little bit longer or is it kind of, is there kind of a constant worry that he's going to either move on to a place where he can call plays or to a place where maybe he's a group of five head coach? Yeah, he he, he said all the right things about kind of not being in a rush and being content to wait for the right opportunity to present itself. I mean, no doubt FSU fans kind of have always, uh, have always, every time he pops up on one of those hot boards when a job comes open, and I'm sure he will uh, for a few this, this cycle as well, Florida State fans kind of panic a bit. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, he's, he's getting paid handsomely. He's getting paid over a million dollars to be a, a non-play calling offensive coordinator, which I think is a, is a sweet gig. I think you're right. I think there may reach a point where it's possible he gets hired directly out of Florida State for a head coaching job somewhere. I think it's also possible, like like Kenny Dillingham did. Kenny, Kenny Dillingham was Mike's first mm-hmm. uh, offensive coordinator at FSU. Feels the need to go somewhere else to kind of be the sole offensive coordinator where it's known like he is running the offense and parlaying that into a head coaching job. But uh, I mean, I don't know. He, he doesn't. He doesn't seem to be any in any rush. I think he uh, he he is definitely seems content at Florida State for the time being, but obviously that could change quickly. Kurt, let's transition to uh, what's at stake for Florida State uh, the coming weekend and moving forward because the scenario seems simple, right? Win and you're in. Although there are some people out there that are resume people that when you watch Florida State without Jordan Travis, they argue, are they better than Texas? Are they better than Alabama? With those battles up ahead for Florida State, even if they're crowned ACC champions, is there any worry they could get left out even if they win? I think there's always going to be a, a bit of worry until you actually until you actually see it for sure. Now, do I think a one-loss team would get a spot over an undefeated Florida State? No, I don't. And, I, and the, the, the ESPN crew Tuesday night said as much, kind of especially with how the rankings lined up. I mean, the truth of the matter is, since the BCS started in, in 1998, no one-loss team has gotten the chance to play for a national title over an undefeated team. It has not happened. Mm. Now, obviously, I think you can make the case. The circumstances of the, around this are setting up for 
one, if it were going to happen, here's how. But I think it would just be a shame. I mean, in the last year where that could happen, because we're going to the 12-team playoff last year, it would just be a shame to kind of drill home to like, oh, games don't really matter because you can go 13-0 and in a Power 5 conference and, and we're going to pick the team that, that lost the game. I mean, it, would, it just it sends the wrong message. It's kind of it, it, it antithetical to everything you've been trying to say and, and that college football has kind of been about. And so, I know, I mean, the truth of the matter is, do I like Florida State's chances against Georgia or Michigan or whoever without Jordan Travis? Not especially. But if they win Saturday, I think it's hard to argue they've earned the right to play in that game, however it goes. Uh, Kurt, I- I'm I'm curious as we lead up to this Louisville game, what are some of the things you're looking at that you are a little concerned about in terms of challenges that the Cardinals can pre- can fa- can present? Uh, when they face Florida State? Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, they've got a real good running back in Jawar Jordan. I think they've got a few really good wide receivers, but especially Jamari Thrash, the, the Georgia State transfer. And uh, they've got a quarterback who's experienced. I mean, Florida State, not to take away from the defense, which I think has been great this year. The numbers bear out being great. They, they've had a bit of a, a stretch of not playing the most experienced quarterback, playing a few backups, playing mm-hmm. a few guys who are younger in their career. Jack Plummer is a sixth-year quarterback who's played a lot of college football. So I think he's like – anytime you're a six-year quarterback, I mean, there is a ceiling on what you're going to be because obviously you're still in college this, this far in and kind of still want to, to cling on to college football. But, that's, but he's absolutely talented, and I think he's absolutely experienced and has, has a way of, uh, of beating you for sure. So I think, I mean, I think the offense will be one of the, the tougher tests that, that the SEC defense has faced in recent memory. On the other side of the ball, I mean, they've got, I think, a really good pass rush. They're, uh, the, they've put up a lot of yards the last few weeks. That's where I, I do find it interesting. But, uh, I mean, it's a better defense than the one you just played last week and, and put up less than 300 yards uh, against. And, obviously, I think there's some rivalry week stuff that goes into that. Those games are always weird. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tougher test than what you just faced and uh, didn't handle very well early on. So, uh Maybe the saving grace for Florida State is, I mean, it won't be a truly hostile atmosphere like last week's was again. It'll be, I think, probably a little, the crowd will be a little in Florida State's favor if I had to bet. Kurt, speaking of star wide receivers, adding Keon Coleman to this team's room has been nothing less than a slam dunk. Like that little tie-in together, <laughs> guys. Everybody know basketball, football. We knew he was a super athlete when he joined, but becoming a projected first-round pick is just the cherry on top of the year that he's having. What makes him just different watching him week in and week out? I mean, it's the athleticism. He's going to have a, 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 a quite a highlight reel by the time the, the, the season ends. And, I mean, he, he, he truly does, I think, do it all. He makes the crazy catches. I think he routes, runs pretty clean routes. He, I mean, I think is a contested catch like master. I think he, he makes some ridiculous contested catches, which is uh, you know, somewhat of a skill you, you can't entirely teach, just that level of toughness. I think, I mean, a big thing for someone like Keon, who, mind you, had never been a punt returner, had never returned punts mm-hmm. before coming. He, he was buried down the depth chart at Michigan State there. They had somebody else. Uh in both the, in both the rivalry game, I mean, he didn't have the biggest receiving game against Miami. He didn't have the biggest receiving game against Florida. In both those games, he had a huge punt return that set up the what was kind of the, the game-winning score, if you will. He's kind of just a dude who makes plays. He finds a way to make an impact every week, and there's a, there's something kind of that 
that je ne sais quoi. There, there's something to be said for that. Uh, Kurt, we'll get you out of here on this. Despite being undefeated, Florida State has sort of, I think, run under the radar a little bit. Obviously, a lot of headlines with Michigan this year, Georgia uh, as well with being the two-time defending champ, and then Washington has sort of felt like the darling of college football with Michael Penix. Florida State, that fourth undefeated team, has kind of slid under the radar. But I'm, I'm curious, out of the Florida State teams that you've covered – where does this one kind of rank, at least in terms of regular season? I know we haven't seen how the postseason plays out yet, so it's a little tricky. But in terms of regular season quality, where does this Florida State team rank for you? Oh, it's, it's the best team. I mean, I, so I started in 2015 right after the, okay. the back-to-back trip. So it's, it's the best for sure that I, that I have covered. I mean, is, is it as talented as those 2013-2014 teams? No, top to bottom, I would say no. But they have a certain attitude about them. I mean, they're resilient. They handle adversity remarkably well. There's something about them, even beyond the talent, that's just kind of it, – it, it, it's hard to put into words, but they're, uh, the, 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 they're kind of been the total package. They've won games a bunch of different ways. They've, I think, rallied from four double-digit deficits. There's, uh, I mean, I guess a bit of that TCU last year uh, factor to them. But, uh, no, this is definitely number one. Uh, you know, and they've got another great recruiting class coming in, so maybe they'll get a little bit closer to that talent level from about a decade ago as well. Uh, Kurt, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us. And, uh, you know, maybe if Florida State is able to keep winning those close games, we might talk to you again soon. Hey, sounds good, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks, Kurt. That's Kurt Weiler from the Osceola. That is part of the Rivals Network. What's up? I don't think Kurt is 100% right with his Florida State take. On which one? On the one when I asked him about the scenario building, even if Florida State wins. Okay. Okay, I know what he's saying. Yeah. I know that, you know, a team in the BCS era who was undefeated was never left out, mm-hmm. right? I know that. Um, well, I guess more in the college football playoff era, after the BCS era. Mm-hmm. Um, but... You really have to look at the state Florida State is in Mm -hmm. as a program. Does a backup quarterback bring you the watch numbers that you're looking for in the college football play? Like, are they the top? Are they one of the top four teams in college football? That's the question you have to be asking yourself if you're the committee. And, and, and that's what the committee preaches, right? Yeah. That these are the top four teams in college football. Whether Florida State is undefeated or not, without Jordan Travis, I don't think you can make the case that a Jalen Milrow, SEC champion Alabama team. Assuming a, they beat Georgia. A, yeah. uh, Quinn Ewers, Steve Sarkeesian, Texas team. Yep. That wins the Big 12 is – worse than Florida State yeah so I I I do think it's way more up in the air than than and I still think if Georgia loses in the SEC championship game that they're better than Florida State so that's where I I don't disagree with you I think Georgia is better than Florida State I do think the committee is going to be really careful about putting non-conference champions that have a loss over an undefeated major conference champion I think that's where I think it's less for them about you know, is this in that scenario? I think it's less about like, hey, the you know, a, a Florida State with a backup quarterback is is not going to be a matchup we want. 
I think it's going to be more about setting a precedent. I don't know that they're going to want to set the precedent that an undefeated conference champion gets left out. And I get that it matters less moving into a 12-team playoff, but it does still matter about the precedents that you set with these types of decisions. Now, if Alabama beats Georgia and they're the ones that knock Florida State out, totally get it. Alabama's My issue would be if an Ohio State mm-hmm. as a non-conference champion or a one-loss Georgia, even though I think both of those teams are better than Florida State, the not putting themselves in a position to win a conference championship, I think – the, I think the committee will not want to reward that. But even still, like Washington is a great example. Yeah. They're, they're nine and a half point dogs to Oregon this week. Which is crazy. I, it don't, is, it I is don't understand the that. the biggest, um, most obnoxious spread number yeah. outside of Michigan-Iowa that you get with yeah, but two that of makes the top sense. teams in football. Michigan-Iowa right? makes sense. Right? Especially with two of the top teams in football. If yeah. Oregon ends up winning, a Michael Penix-Washington team is still they're better. a better team than Florida State. And I don't disagree that they're better. So I, you got to get the four best teams in there. Whether there's a zero next to somebody's record or not, You ha- are they one of the best four teams? I totally understand that argument. I think from thinking like the committee, I don't think they like to set precedents of dis- disregarding things that happen in the regular season. Washington in that scenario would have taken a loss. Washington in that scenario would not be a conference champion. Again, Oregon as a one-loss conference champ, no problem with that. Texas with a one-loss conference champ, no problem with that. Alabama as a one-loss conference champ, no problem with that. Where I think it starts to get sticky and sets a precedent that I don't think the committee wants to set is if you start putting in one-loss non-conference champs over undefeated conference champs. Now, if Florida State loses... It makes everybody's life easier, right? So can Georgia be the exception to that rule? Well, that's the tricky part because of their – they and have I, to be. And I know they I, They don't have to be, though. They have to be. They're one of the best teams. They, they are arguably the best team in college football, even if they lose to a, a good Bama team. I mean, listen, I'm looking at the college football play, playoff rankings right now. You can make the argument, and I like Florida State. I can make the argument that out of those eight teams, they are number eight. I understand mm-hmm. that. But it's not just about who is the best team. It also is about who has the best resume. And being undefeated puts you ahead of those one-loss teams if you won your conference championship. I'm not saying that makes them one of the four best teams. I'm saying that makes them one of the four best candidates for those spots because of that. Again, one-loss conference champions, put Oregon over them. Put Texas over them. Put put Alabama over them. No problem whatsoever. I think you get in really weird territory when you say, hey – you won every game on your schedule. You play in a major conference. You won your conference title. Sorry, bud, you're out. Especially if they go out and prove. I mean, Louisville is currently 14. They were 10 last week in the college football playoff. You go out and win a pretty big game against a team with your backup quarterback, and you prove, like, hey, we can still beat good teams with our backup quarterback. That's what I think they'll look at as much as anything if Florida State wins that game. I don't disagree with you that they're not one of the four best teams. And, and I'm just and, – and that's what the college football playoffs all about, though, is having the four best teams in there. Think about it in this scenario, though, right? Okay, so we do this with the college basketball selection committee all the time. Mm-hmm. Is we run into these situations where you have these major conference teams that take 
10, 11, 12, 13 losses during the regular season. And then you have a St. Mary's team that went 28 and 4 and did everything they're supposed to do. And they only lose to Gonzaga because Gonzaga is going to be a number one seed and whatever. And they get left out. It's like, listen, the major conference teams had their opportunities to not take 13 losses and get in. I get that those teams are bet more talented it's, than St. Mary's. It's a schedule thing, man. But St. Mary's deserves that spot more. Mm-hmm. It, 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 everything's about strength of schedule, though, at all levels. I don't need to see a 14-loss Trey Young Oklahoma team in the NCAA tournament. I saw them 14 times. They don't deserve to be there. The strength of schedule thing. <laughs> how it works. And Florida State just isn't one of the four best teams in college football. Coming up, we've got uh, some Omaha volleyball to talk about Let's here do it. on Herd Out Sports Radio.